just a quick message from me, Rebecca Adil, and I will be quick, I promise. Just a few things I want to say. I'm really excited to share the new series, series two of Killing Time. There's loads of exciting episodes in store and I just know you're going to love it. Secondly, the reviews have been brilliant. Thank you so much for that. If you haven't done it yet, a five-star review would be much appreciated. And finally, 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 if you would like to support the podcast, we do have a Patreon account, which I bang on about all the time. <laughs> Don't feel pressured, but it would be wonderful. You can find us on www.patreon.com forward slash killing underscore time. <sighs> and breathe. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Killing Time, the podcast that investigates the darkest moments of our past to shine a light on wider histories. I'm Rebecca Adil and I'll be your guide. Sit back, relax and listen as we delve into the latest episode, The Mysterious Death of Amy Robsart. It's Sunday the 8th of September 1560 and we're at Cumnor Place near the town of Abingdon in southern England. The large house is being rented by Robert Dudley, later to be the first Earl of Leicester, and his wife, Amy Robsart. Robert is away at court, leaving Amy as mistress of the house. Today, she's insisted that her servants and attendants leave to go to the popular Abingdon Fair. She's alone. At some point during the day, she falls down the stairs, breaks her neck and dies. One of the very first episodes of Killing Time, we explored the early death of Mary Queen of Scots' husband, Lord Darnley, in 1567. A mere seven years earlier, the death of Amy Robsart would cause a similar earthquake in the court of Elizabeth I. To explore the case, I'm joined by Renaissance historian, broadcaster and author of the forthcoming In the Shadow of the Block, Dr Joanne Paul. Dr. Joanne Paul, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today because I've known you now and I was thinking about this before for probably about six or seven years. It's been an age. A while now. Yeah, I, I'm too afraid to do the math. I know. But actually, weirdly, <laughs> the first podcast that I did, I think, was with you. We did a podcast about Thomas More. That was it. Thomas More. Oh, of course. Yeah, I remember that in Utopia. Yes. Gosh, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to talk about Thomas More. We'll have to do an episode on Thomas More. But obviously Something today else. it's not that. Yeah, we're talking about another notorious death. The death of Amy Robsart. Have I pronounced her name correctly, by the way? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, in the early modern period, they, they had all sorts of spellings as well. So I'm, I'm saying we can pronounce it all sorts of different ways. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. At least you say that. So yeah. <laughs> you, can, you, can be, you can be the Time Lord today. I want you, first of all, to take us back to England in 1560. What is this place like? Who's in charge? How are people living? What does it look like, you know, if we were visitors there? England in the summer of 1560 is a very insecure place. Elizabeth I is on the throne, but she's only been there under two years. And before her, we have two very, very tumultuous and short reigns, those of her younger brother, Edward VI, and older sister, Mary mm -hmm. I. 
And at the start of Elizabeth's reign, you know, we think of Elizabeth and her reign as, as this great, you know, Gloriana and a time of great prosperity and in a golden age. But in 1560, no one thought that that was what was going to happen. And the only way that they thought she would have security was if she married. So a lot of the political attention was on the question of who Elizabeth would marry in order to secure the throne. Mm-hmm. I mean, when did she become queen? 1558, uh, at the end of 15... Yeah, so her sister, Mary I, dies at the end of 1558. Elizabeth comes to the throne. Her coronation is in January of the next year. So she's barely been on the throne at all. She's, she's celebrated one anniversary of, of her coronation. And so it's, it's still very shaky. And she's very young, remember. She's only 25 when she comes to the throne. So she's a young person. She's a young woman, which means people don't think that she has the capacity to rule. And so all the attention is, is on making sure that a male figure is introduced to make everything secure, because they figure otherwise it'll it'll just end in in another short reign, and and she hasn't got a, a an heir. She hasn't got someone, not someone good anyway, <laughs> who's going to be able to take the throne after her. It sort of becomes a mess after her, and so everybody's very very concerned about this. And how does Amy Robsart fit into this picture? Who who is she? Amy Robsart, she's the heiress of, of a Norfolk gentleman. She brings some property, but she's not a member of the nobility. She, she sort of wouldn't be that important to us in history, probably, except for the fact that she married someone named Robert Dudley. They marry uh, just before the age of 18. Uh, they're both, she's three days off being 18 when they marry. And he, at that point, isn't necessarily someone all that important either. He's the younger son of someone named John Dudley, who's, who's involved in the court. But he, he wouldn't necessarily be that important either, except for the fact when Elizabeth I comes to the throne, he all of a sudden is sort of thrust into the limelight as her master of horse and someone that she may have some sort of romantic entanglement with. So I have this theory that throughout history, royal women have had a thing for their master of horse. It happens to the Stuarts. It obviously, you know, is rumoured to have happened with some of the Tudors. What's the relationship with Elizabeth and Dudley then? And how, how does that affect the wider politics of the time? Master of Horse is a very sort of privileged, intimate position. You do get to be very, very close to the person you're serving as Master of Horse. So for instance, when Elizabeth parades through London on her way to take the tower as, as the next Queen of England, Robert is right behind her. And he's, he's always sort of right behind her, traveling behind her as her Master of Horse. So it's somebody who, who can have this this very close proximity and relationship with the monarch. Same with when they go hunting, he's always there. And this leads to some rumours. I don't think that they do anything to stop these rumours. They're probably, at the very least, flirting quite a bit. And so he sort of ends up in, in all this question of who is she going to marry? And it's very important, of course, who she's going to marry because that person will be the King of England. All of a sudden, you see the ambassador's reports, they're talking about Philip II or various Spanish archdukes or so on and so forth. And all of a sudden they go, 
what about this guy Robert Dudley? <laughs> the Queen seems to pay him an awful lot of attention. They go for meals in, in St. James Park and they go hunting together and, and, and he's always giving gifts to her household and so on and so forth. What about this Dudley? Could she marry him? But we know she doesn't, don't we? But how, I no. mean, and we <laughs> yes. also know that he already had a wife. Do, is there any indication as to what Amy, I will call her Amy because I, I fear that I'm probably mispronouncing her surname. <laughs> is there any indication as to what Amy thought about this situation? Did Has she left any written records behind? What do we know about her situation while these rumours were escalating? Unfortunately, we know precious little about Amy herself. We have a few letters, but most of them pertain to things to do with the household. One of her letters was to her tailor, William Edney. She requests for some adjustments to be made to a dress she'd recently purchased, and it offers a tantalising glimpse into her brief life. Edney, with my hearty commendations, this shall be to desire you to take the pains for me as to make this gown of velvet which I send you with such a collar as you made my russet taffeta gown you sent me last, and I will see you discharged for all. I pray you, let it be done with as much speed as you can, and sent by this bearer, Fruin, the carrier of Oxford. And thus I bid you most heartily farewell, from Cumnor, this 24th of August. Your assured friend... Amy Dudley. We know that they did have, uh, at least at one point, a fairly close relationship. She stands by Robert when he's imprisoned in the tower, for instance, convicted of treason, all of this. His name is dragged through the mud, um, loses almost his entire family under the reign of Mary I, and she sticks with him. When Elizabeth comes to the throne, though, he ends up obviously by the Queen's side almost all the time, sees Amy fairly little. And, and so she's still in the countryside, essentially, while he's with the court, largely in London. And we don't know really what she felt about it. There are some indications, uh, especially around her death itself, that she was unhappy in some way. But that's all secondhand. We don't know for sure. So we have people saying that, you know, nightly she would, she would pray on her knees to be delivered from her troubles. But people might do that anyway, right? It's, it's hard to say um, how much of that is, is, for instance, because there are rumours that her husband is, is flirting and perhaps other things with the Queen, or if, it, if it's just religiosity and, and piety. It's, it's, it's really hard to know. So let's move on to the incident then. So we're in, we're in 1560 and something happens that catapults Amy Robsart into the history books, in a way that she wouldn't have been before. Could you describe what happens? Yeah, so it's the 8th of September, uh, 1560, and Amy rises very early that morning, and she uh, meets with some of her servants and tells them to go to the fair in the ne- nearby town of Abington. And and the servants sort of say, mm, I don't really feel like going today, I I'm, you know, might go another day, and she insists, apparently that they go to the fair that day and gets very emotional about it. So they go. When they come home, they find her dead at the bottom of a staircase, her neck broken. And this is sort of what, as you say, catapults her much more into the history books and and much more into the politics of the time because it had been predicted 
and talked about and whispered about that Robert would do away with his wife so that he could marry the queen. And just, just at the height of all of that sort of talk, she dies in very mysterious circumstances. And so, of course, the rumor mills pick up at that point that he has done away with her. Is there any possibility that he did do anything? So the coroner is is sent in along with uh, 15 jury members and they decide that it was a misfortune, that it was essentially an accident. She just fell down the stairs. That being said, it is very mysterious that she sends all her servants away on that day. But how was her body discovered? And when it was found, was there any kind of investigation or, you know, did people want to find out how she died? Absolutely. Her body was discovered at the bottom of the staircase, as I said, by a servant uh, who immediately did as he was meant to do and, and called the coroner who started the official investigation. This is ongoing. At the same time, Robert Dudley begins his own sort of investigation. So he sends one of his servants, a man uh, named Thomas Blunt, to where Amy's body was found. And he starts conducting his own questioning and interrogation. So on his way there, he poses as a traveller at an inn on on his way and, and sort of interrogates the innkeeper, pretending that he knows nothing about what's happening. He asks him essentially, you know, what's the news? What's what's new in this area? And and the innkeeper, presumably only too happy <laughs> to share this <laughs> juicy bit of gossip, tells him all about it. And he's very, very interested, Blunt is very, very interested in what the innkeeper and others in the area think happened, how they feel about it. Because this is very important at the time to determining whether a murder took place. It's not just the circumstances of the crime, it's what people think happened. That factors into it a lot more than than we would expect with our sort of modern sensibilities. So it's kind of like the court of public opinion exactly. is a that, real thing. That actually, yeah, existed, well, I suppose it exists now, but it, it existed in a much more sort of legitimate way in the early modern period. So he, he does this and sort of questions secretly the innkeeper and then arrives at, at the house at Cumnor where uh, Amy's body was found and uh, conducts a series of further I- investigations and questionings, um, including with one of Amy's uh, serving women, named Mrs. Peepto. And this is where he starts to get indications that it's, it's more than just that she sent her servants away, that there was something going on. And, and this is when he first begins to think that perhaps it was a suicide, because Mrs. Peepto sort of indicates to that without him ever raising it as, as an issue, as a question. Okay. Am I right in thinking she's the one that says that she's been praying and asking for forgiveness? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So she's she's the one who, who talks about Amy praying to be delivered. And and she's also when when he asks her, So what do you think happened? She immediately responds with, well, I think it was an accident. I'm paraphrasing here, of course, and, and modernizing the language a bit, but she says essentially she says, I, I think I think it was an accident and neither done not by any man nor herself. And, and Blunt kind of says, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, are, are you suggesting that, that the, the term he uses is that she had an evil toy in her mind, which essentially means that, that she may have had her own sort of plan, um, that she committed suicide. 
and, oh. and she's uh, Picto immediately responds, no, no, um, you know, if you thought that that's what I meant, then I've said too much. So there's, there's three possibilities, essentially. One, that it, it was an accident. She fell down the stairs. Two, that she sends all her servants away, that she's praying on her knees at night, that she commits suicide. She throws herself down those stairs. And the third is that she's pushed, that perhaps she was meeting right. someone that day that she didn't want her servants to know about. She had some other knowledge. Or it just so happened that that morning she sent them away and then the opportunity was taken by those who were waiting to have her killed. Who did it, if it was a murder, remains open to a lot of questions. Certainly the sort of people who are against Robert marrying the Queen, and there's quite a few of those, would want to say that he did it. They might also want the opportunity to say that he did it. And so there's, there's some speculation that some of his enemies killed his wife in order to discredit him. I know this is hard, a hard question to ask a historian where you have to stay, stay bound to the source material. But do you have a theory? I mean, where, where does your feeling lie on this? I have, I have feelings. <laughs> I don't know that mm. we don't have the evidence. So she had a broken neck. She also had two wounds in her head. One of them was two thumbs deep, described as two thumbs deep, which you really only find out by sort of sticking a thumb in there, which is a bit gruesome. But she had two very, very deep, or at least one was very deep. The other was a quarter of a thumb thick in her, her head, which can happen one supposes, by, by striking one's head falling down the stairs. But it does give an indication that perhaps she was struck. Yeah. The argument that she may have committed suicide also, I think, has a lot of weight. There is some evidence that she was deeply unhappy. And although suicide, throwing oneself down a flight of stairs isn't a common source of suicide at that time, or cause of suicide, cause of death in suicide at that time, it remains possible that in that sort of height of emotion, she, she decides to do that. Gosh, it's a, really, it's a really sad story. What were the consequences of her death? I mean, for Dudley, for Elizabeth, for her story as well. Yeah, it was, it was huge. I mean, I don't know what the sort of 16th century equivalent of a bombshell would be, <laughs> but this, this was a bombshell. Robert Dudley at the centre of the court, at, at the centre of the Queen's affections, at the moment where people were saying, oh, well, he's going to marry her, except for that pesky wife, she ends up dead. So some think that this, this is the answer, that this will clear a path for Robert Dudley to marry the Queen. As you said, we know that that doesn't happen. She is the Virgin Queen. She doesn't end up marrying. A lot of that has to do with the way in which Amy dies. So if it was his enemies who had something to do with it, or who at the very least spin the story against him, right? Make, you know, creating these whispers that he has her murdered. That works. It creates a sense of scandal and, and shame around him that means that really the, the queen can't marry him. She can't marry a man who may have murdered his first wife. That just becomes an impossibility. So although there remain talk there, that, that he will end up marrying her after Amy's death, it, it becomes almost impossible. Gosh, okay, so Elizabeth's not in any way going to do a Mary Queen of Scots and marry a murderer. <laughs> okay. And then in terms of the legacy of the story and the, you know, the wider implication, do you think that this has tarnished Dudley's reputation for posterity? Do you think it's still something that's a, a stain on his character? Absolutely. This is the story is really a sort of foundation stone 
in what's been called the Black Legend of the Dudleys. Robert Dudley represents a potential for a new start for the Dudleys. His brother, father and grandfather were all executed for treason. So there were already a few stains um, on, <laughs> on his character and on his reputation. And there was a real potential that he would sort of escape all of that. But very, very quickly, I mean, it's, it's only a few years after those executions, really. And his, his wife ends up dead in mysterious circumstances. That's used at the time. It's used uh, 20 years later when people are trying to once again sort of tarnish his reputation. And it's used throughout to suggest throughout history to suggest that the Dudleys, there's something dark about the Dudleys, that they are a sinister, murderous family. And yeah, they've, they've never really truly escaped that, I think. But until now, because you yourself have written a book about the Dudleys, which I don't think it's out until next year, is it? But could you tell, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your new book? Absolutely. I'm writing a book on the Dudley family. So from Robert's grandfather, Edmund Dudley, under Henry VII, who was Elizabeth's grandfather, all the way up until Robert's death, which is some 25 years after uh, the death of his wife, Amy. I'm not trying to necessarily uh, recover the Dudleys from this sort of black legend, but I am trying to tell the story of, of what happens. I don't think they're necessarily saintly either. Um, <laughs> uh, they make a few mistakes. They're, they're not necessarily the nicest people, but they're not, yeah, this sort of tribe of traitors is how they're, they're described at the time. I'm trying to sort of get away from, from all of that a little bit in my book. Well, that's really exciting. And your book is called? It's called In the Shadow of the Block. <laughs> okay. Well, that's really exciting. And anybody listening to this next year or tw in 2021, do go out to the shops and grab a copy because I'm sure yeah, it will be keep amazing. Your eye out. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Joe, it's been amazing. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Amy Dudley was laid to rest at St Mary's Church in Oxford with full pomp and ceremony. The court went into official mourning for a month and Robert Dudley was said to have worn full mourning clothes for six months, right up until his own death in 1588. And despite evidence to the contrary, Dudley was haunted by rumours that it had been he who had orchestrated his wife's demise. Mm -hmm. 